That's why everything's oishi. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's not like a lot of like um, uh, fine tuning of how oishi it is in which way. Hello, I'm Mark. I'm Justin. We are the J-Pops. And we are attempting parenting in Japan. Welcome to episode 71. Today we're going to talk about tantrums and how to not go crazy dealing with them. But for some updates. Uh, You want to save yours, so I'm going to go first. Sounds good. Okay, what do we got here? Um, First off, Emma is not two months yet but i think on release date of this she will be just two months so we'll say she's two months congratulations um thank you it feels like to me it feels like emma's been around longer than two months it feels that way for me too oh yeah (laughs) time has definitely slowed down (laughs) yeah yeah hearing that she's still in the one month range even though we talk about her every time and uh I should be well aware of her progress. It feels like she's, yeah, four or five months now. I know. It's crazy. Um, But in that two-month time, she did get her first sickness, mm. thanks to either me or Coda. Probably Coda, and then me, and then her. Mm-hmm. Just as the way things go when you have a toddler running around. Um, So she had her first doctor visit, too which uh, they gave her some little baby medicine because her nose was really stuffed up and she couldn't sleep. Mm -hmm. So we had to go and do that. And then uh, Moe got the the nose sucker out Mm -hmm. and has been doing that twice a day, I think at least twice a day for like two weeks now, which really helps, I think. Is that the one where you actually put your lips on the device and then somehow suck the snot out or is it the one with the little bulb that you squeeze um yeah no it's the one that you physically like put a tube in their nose have a tube in your mouth and then there's a little container connecting them both yeah and it's like i've never used one i've only seen them in the shop in the package so i've never really even investigated one but it's kind of like a I don't know, like a hookah or a bong in reverse. <laughs> Not even in reverse, actually. It's exactly like it. And then there's it's some, exactly like a bong. <laughs> there's some trap in the middle. Like uh, when you use a bong, allegedly, um, like you're not just drinking bong water, though there's water in the bong, you know? Right. So you can like suck the snot out of a child and it, it is somehow trapped in the device before it gets to you. And exactly. You vomit everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that's cool. Have you ever used it? Um, I attempted to use it on Coda initially when we were going through that with him. Mm-hmm. And then the whole thing terrified me and kind of grossed me out. And so I was never able to get back to it. Yeah. We've always relied on the a similar thing, but it just has a bulb on the end, like a turkey baster, like a tiny little turkey uh, baster. And you just, you know, squeeze it and then let it expand and it kind of sucks out the snot, but it's not that effective. And then uh, what we've always used really is just tissue and the little nose tweezers that are sort of plastic tweezers that Uh, you use to just pull whatever you can out of their nose. That's been our method for, you know, over a year and a half now. That's all we've ever done. Yeah. I think the, uh, the nose sucking device is better than the bulb. Mm -hmm. I think I'm, I know we've, we used to, at least when I was a kid, I remember seeing that bulb one around. I never saw the other one. Yeah. So I think that's more of a Western device. Yeah, for sure. I think we're more easily grossed out in the West. There's something in we Japan are. that's uh, people are attuned to slurping and to yeah, uh, like sort of nose running is not really toilety, but it's in that world of like right off putting bodily function that Japan yeah. is a lot more comfortable with. So yeah, that it, I don't know if that product would really sell in the open market in the U S it may, but um, I don't know. Yeah. It may be popular now. Who knows? Yeah. Um, what else? What else? Coda was sick again uh, a couple of days ago and uh, we brought that sickness over to your house. Yeah. So you're uh, welcome. Yeah. We had a nice little, uh, nice little gathering at our place and uh coda was sick but 
I still felt confident. I was like, let's just, let's forge ahead. I was happy to have the the party. Um, and That's after you guys, I, yeah, yeah, it's always good to get the kids together and give them a little, a little extra fun in the weekend. After you guys left, I did go through and I channeled Moe and I like doused everything with rubbing alcohol and just all oh, the toys and the play zone and yeah. everything. And there's been no further sickness at our house. So I think whatever Coda had or has, has not been passed along. I don't know if it was that contagious either, because none of us seemed to get it. I had a little bit of like a dry throat, but there was nothing like what Coda had. So I think it was maybe just like a isolated cold. Like maybe he did too much. It was a three day weekend. So we were trying to like pack in the stuff so that he wasn't just watching TV the whole time. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe we just overdid it. That makes sense. It ended up actually being a four day weekend for us because he ended up staying home that Monday because he had a little too much of a cough and a little slight fever because they have their limits really low for the daycare. Like you can't send them if it's over 37.5, which is like 99 ish. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty low threshold. It's the same at our daycare. Yeah. So I had to keep him home that day. Yeah. I don't know. I, that's about it. I think that's all of our updates because we literally just talked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we did a late recording last week and now we're doing a, for our standards, a very early recording this week. So we recorded yeah. like four or five days ago and we saw each <laughs> other in between. So, um, yeah, there's not much info to exchange. I was sitting on this story though for Nico's update because I wanted it to be some good uh, pod fodder. Okay. Uh, we had a boys' day last weekend. If uh, some, my wife oh, will right. sometimes have to work on the weekends, and when that happens, she usually leaves early in the morning, even before Nico and I wake up. And then uh, I've got Nico for the day, pretty much. She'll come home late afternoon or toward the evening. So uh, we call it a boys' day, and it happens maybe every month or so. And we we had another one this last weekend, and things were going pretty smoothly. I enjoy boys' day. I like the challenge of it. You know, you've got to do every single thing with the kid, keep him entertained, Mm. maybe run some errands, and, like, factor him into all your plans. And somehow it's like when you have your spouse there, you know that you have kind of an escape valve, and you can pass off the kid. But when you don't have that, it's kind of like a challenge. And uh, I, I enjoy that. So mm. uh, I always like refuse help on boys days and stuff. Like if the grandmother says, oh, I'll take him because you'll be alone. I'm like, no, no, no. This is what I like to do. So uh, <laughs> I had him, you know, breakfast or did a little shopping, came home for lunch. And then I don't know if um, Coda gets in this kind of a mood, but toward the end of a meal, Nico just wants to play with the food, you know, he's done yeah. eating it, might as well mess around with it. So he picked up a soup that I had <laughs> for him there. And then he started to like tilt the soup and he was like dumping the the soupy part of the soup onto his uh, high chair table. And yeah. I was like, we talk about this all the time. No, no, you know, don't throw your spo- uh, forks and spoons on the floor. Don't dump out your dishes on your right. table. And uh, we're constantly fighting this battle at the house to make him just sort of not make a horrible mess. So I was like, no, 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 don't dump your soup. Come on. And I grabbed his soup. And while I was like grabbing his soup and trying to wipe it up, then he quickly grabbed his tea and then just toppled it over because <laughs> he was in the mood to pour something. And it was just like, you know, anything he could get his hands on. So wow. now he's got like all of the soup liquid and now the tea is all over his his high chair. And some of it spilled onto his lap. And I was like, okay, I've now you're dirty. The table's dirty. I had to take him out of the chair and set him on the floor. <laughs> and I was also like wiping up around the floor. But he was in a mood now because it's like I fought him yeah. on the soup, which made him enraged to get the tea. And now I took him <laughs> out of the chair and he can't splash around anymore. So when I was down on the floor trying to like clean up the floor, then he came over and just whapped me in the head. <laughs> Just a open palm <laughs> slap to the head. Just, just and, knocking you when you're down. Yeah, exactly. And it was coming from a place of like baby frustration, you know, like he was just <laughs> in this agitated state and he came over and hit me. And the hitting in the face and the head is something that we've worked on a lot too. And uh, my uh, disciplinary action that I landed on in months of dealing with this, and I think it has worked, is I pick him up and take him into the next room and we stand in the corner in the next room. And I hold his hand that he used to do the hitting. I hold it tightly so he can't, you know, have use of his hand. And oh. then 
I explain to him, like, you don't hit in the face. Do you understand me? And then, you know, like, look me in the eye. You don't hit in the face. You got it? And then we do this for a long time until it frustrates him. And he, you know, starts to squirm and get a little fussy. And he, to me, that's him registering that he knows he's done something bad or that he's not enjoying himself anymore. And that's what I want, you know, uh, in that instance, especially with the hitting, uh, because that could get him into trouble or hurt somebody at the daycare or whatever. So you need to, you know, deal with it somehow. So that's pretty much what I landed on as a punishment that's not too wild and Mm. might have some effect. And we always walk to the we always like yeah walk to the same spot and I always hold his hand uh, kind of tightly so he can't move his hands around and that sort of thing. So hopefully it's like the message is driving home and the hitting got a lot better. Uh, it's probably been a month since he's hit anybody in the face or head and it just happened I think because he was in this agitated state. So anyway, it was kind of like bad behavior on top of bad behavior on top of bad behavior and it was nap time anyway. So I took him up to lay down and have the nap. And while we were laying down, uh, you know, he had his, he still has a bottle for his nap. He had his bottle and he was laying down, but he was kind of like rolling around and not wanting to nap. And then he set up and then he just, he pulled his hand back and delivered an <laughs> absolute haymaker and just slapped me just right in the face. And uh, I knew it was still coming from a place of him kind of being in a state of frustration. And right. at this point, I had personally just had it. And I was like, all right, man, enjoy your nap. And I just left the room and uh, (laughs) we never do this. But, uh, you know, usually when we put him to bed, we uh, like lay with him until he falls asleep. But this time I was like, "Okay, you're alone now. It's over if this is how you're going to be. So I left the bedroom and of course we have the camera. So I turned the camera on because this was also kind of an experiment. Like, what is he going to do? Will he fall asleep by himself? I have no idea. So I turned on the camera and watched him and he sat up in the bed for probably 15 minutes and he just sat there and confused. uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And he, you know, didn't, he wasn't rambunctious, didn't get out of the bed, didn't go get books or anything, just sat there in the bed. And so then eventually he sort of like fell over onto the pillow and then I, I realized, okay, he's asleep now. So but his head was a little precarious between two pillows and I wanted to make sure he had enough room to breathe and everything. So as soon as Mm. he was asleep, I went up and uh, I was going to move the pillows. And then I smelled the telltale smell of a dirty (laughs) diaper. (laughs) So then I realized while he was alone, it probably gave him time to focus on like, Oh man, I got to go to the bathroom. So then he he pooed himself. (laughs) And then (laughs) as soon as he had done that, he fell asleep. And then I felt guilty. Because he, like, (laughs) if I had been up there, I would have noticed when he pooped and I would have been able to change his diaper. But instead, he probably had to sit there for a long time. And that's probably why he sat for so long was like, Uh, this is uncomfortable. And I'm just sitting in a poopy diaper and he didn't want to go anywhere. And then eventually he was like, this sucks, this sucks. And then just fell asleep. Um, So then I thought, like, you know, I was internally thinking, like, did I overreact by leaving him alone? And then, you know, it probably was not cool for him just because when he poops, like he's once every two days pooper. So it's a big event and he usually like screams and shouts about it and he doesn't like it at all. So I thought that's probably not a comfortable way to feel kind of abandoned and then have to sleep in your poop. But at the same time, punishment. Yeah. (laughs) At the same time, I had just had it with him and there was nothing else to do. So I just left him alone. And uh, uh, he, he didn't really shout or cry or anything. Uh, so it wasn't like he was being tortured. But anyway, interesting. this was like a run of about 45 minutes of pretty poor behavior. And uh, then me not knowing if I had dealt with it correctly. Okay. Well, this this ties directly into my question for you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump to that early before we get to the segment, actually. Okay. Sounds good. Because it's... it's directly related to it. So I was going to ask you for McQuiffy. Yeah. So what do you do when you get too stressed or frustrated with your kid? If he's having a tantrum? Yeah. Uh, Well, I, Aside from what I've just uh, explained, like with the, you know, holding his hand and walking him into another room as a kind of mini timeout, um, 
I think I do try to be aware of like, there's that line of, is this punishment more for his benefit or is this punishment more for my benefit in terms of letting out my frustration in some way? And then I try to keep that in mind as much as I can and realize that it's often falling on me wanting to vent my frustration more so than it is on this is going to be constructive for him. And then I like with that knowledge, then it helps me just tamp it down, you know, and just uh, internalize Mm -hmm. the frustration and try to, I don't know if let it go is the right word, but just not really engage with it or react to it. So um, I really try to take the stoic approach and just override my emotions, rationalize like what I'm feeling, why I'm feeling that way, and then just push it down as best I can and then kind of keep going. And then also that idea of just um, kind of acting as if, you know, like you don't want your kids to always see you angry. And so then there's value into just putting on the face of like, nothing's wrong, you know, in this case. I mean, if the kid's doing something bad and needs to be scolded, then the kid needs to be scolded. That's one thing. But like, if he's just playing in a way that's like noisy or annoying to me or something, I try to realize like, well, you know, it's fun for him to play and that's fine actually. So Mm. I need to just uh, push this aside and then maybe go play with him and have a good time too. So it's all, you know, it's really case by case. And I often try to like, uh, I really probably only react to that sort of feeling maybe 10% of the time. And when I think it's really justified. Gotcha. Interesting. I think, yeah, that's kind of the ideal way to go about it. It's kind of like internalize it more than <laughs> externalize yeah. it. Yeah. I'm probably in the 50% category more than uh-huh. you. <laughs> so yeah. I definitely let it out more and express my frustrations. Yeah. Um, this might be hard not to. Yeah, it is. I mean, and this might be, I don't know if this is a controversial thing, but I think it's actually helpful to raise your voice with a kid because like if he's doing something bad, there needs to be like an alarm or a siren that goes off, especially if it's in terms of, you know, like you could hurt yourself because of this thing. And right. so I think there's oftentimes too much of a, you know, like, don't yell at your kid. That seems to be a blanket statement that people just accept. But like yelling is like meant to um, just raise some awareness and just like cause some alertness on everybody's part who's hearing it. And um, if it's something that's either going to create an enormous mess or that's going to harm somebody in some way, then I would say raise your voice and go for it. So sometimes like that sort of thing is beneficial. And then I feel like I'm not going to hold myself back from ever like raising my voice. But um, uh, so there are like, you know, avenues for like that kind of outlet, I guess, of, of getting through that, that stress on your part. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's important. Like, Maybe that's a, the biggest difference maybe in Japan and America. Like we are voice raisers in America. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know any family who I've ever seen in America. Somebody didn't yell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's yeah. just part of it. Like kid did something wrong. One of the parents is yelling. Yeah. But you come to Japan and like you don't hear yelling like and it's usually frowned upon like if the kids being an absolute shit doing something (laughs) in a mall yeah like everybody ignores him like whatever but if that parent raises his voice to tell the kid he's doing something wrong suddenly everybody's looking at the parent like whoa what are you doing dude yeah (laughs) so there's a there's a real difference in how they view it here and i think Mm. i don't know if your house is the same but we we get into some of these like battles where we have that different mindset where I'm like, it's okay to raise your voice. Sometimes you're letting out your frustration or he's doing something dangerous or wrong and you want to let him know. And Mm -hmm. I think that's fine, but Moe tends to not feel that so much. Yeah. We haven't discussed it and I don't think it comes up so often, but um, I definitely raise my voice more than my wife does. Uh, Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's probably a difference in philosophy, but we've never really discussed it before. But yeah, yeah as I was saying, it's just um, there seems to be some benefit, and it's ultimately a gentle way of um, <clears throat> right calling your kid up on some kind of 
some kind of bad behavior. And I mean, like, not just run of the mill bad behavior, but like, okay, you're about to turn over a plate of food onto a carpet. You know, it's like, we, we don't need this kind of destruction to happen. Um, right. <laughs> or you're um, swinging around a chunk of wood and you're going to knock yourself unconscious. Like you have yeah. to stop it now and you need to be alerted to the fact that something bad is happening. So hearing yeah. a parent like raise their voice is one way to like quickly get that, that alert. And obviously it's, you know, not 16 hours a day that you're yelling. It's, there's all kinds of parameters to it, but I don't think it's a total negative. Mm. Yeah. I don't either. Otherwise I think like, kids tend to turn things into a game really, really easily. Yeah, for sure. And if you don't elevate it to like a serious level, then they think, oh, this is just more playing. Now we're playing with a knife in my hand. This is fun. (laughs) (laughs) There's also, I guess, um, one other way to look at it is that rather than yelling, you could say like have a stern tone and a very very straight face and and eye contact. And that combination of things can also yeah. let them know that you're being serious. But that's when you've got the situation under control and you're explaining to them what's gone on. But mm. if there's some little element of emergency, then I think it's it's fine to go for it. Sorry to throw that in there and mess up that's, the order today. This is uh, some new ground we're breaking on the J-Pops today. <laughs> A pre-Segmenton McQuiffie. <laughs> I didn't think I'd ever see the day, but here we are. It's here. Yeah. 71. <laughs> uh, segments, Phil? Let's drive over. Um, here we are. Wonderful, beautiful segment in. Today we're going to talk more about tantrums, right? Yes, sir. You found an article. And uh, what's the source on the article again? Uh, This is from the Mayo Clinic. And it's on um, temper tantrums in toddlers and how to keep the peace, if it's even possible. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, it's a brief article, but it kind of goes along with everything we've been talking about. So why do tantrums happen? I think you touched on this quite a bit when you were talking about Nico, but it's like it's an ex- trying them trying to express a frustration mm-hmm. that they don't either have the words for or the ability to show. And so as a parent, how do you help your child get through this thing that's also making you basically have a tantrum? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and the article gives some um, advice uh This is about preventing tantrums, they say, ways to kind of lay a bit of groundwork so that maybe tantrums just won't come up as often. And, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, they say. That's uh, pretty accurate. Um, The first piece of advice they give is to be consistent. And this means to have like daily routines so your kid knows what to expect. And then being sure that the routines include the nap time and the bedtime. Um, and that also ensures that they're sleeping enough. So if you have a well-rested child who's got reasonable expectations of what's going to occur through the day, then there are like less surprises and less um, like background kind of tiredness related aggravation for a tantrum to spring. Yeah. Up. yeah. And that makes sense. And then uh, I would say some somewhat tied to that, the next piece of advice is to plan ahead. Uh, and it says like run errands when your child isn't likely to be hungry or tired. Like you don't want to be stuck in a shop and the kid's hungry and you know that you're still an hour from getting home to get them any real food, that sort of thing. Um, and the reason that those two things are connected is because they're both about like planning and having so much on the ball, you know, yeah, you've got to like be sure that you're on your schedule. You've got to be sure that you're hitting your nap time, hitting your bedtime, that your errands yeah. are also part of the schedule, that the feeding is part of the schedule. And it's a little bit like you've joined the military, like you've just got to be like on time for all this stuff. And that is going to make your life easier in the tantrum way. It's probably going to make your life a bit harder in like planning everything out so well. But um, I think a lot of people struggle with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because you just want to do stuff or you want to go here. Somebody says, oh, I need to do this right now. And then you just have to go. Yeah. 
And then like before you have kids, if the thought occurs to you of uh, like, oh, I need to buy this, you can just run out and buy it. But exactly, it's not that way after you have a kid because so many other things need to fall in place. And then yeah. you might have to wait a week to go to the shop you wanted to go to to buy the one thing, whereas before you would have had it in you know 45 minutes. So uh, yeah, that's something to, to get used to. Um, a little bit more is from their list of um, uh, prevention methods. Mm. It says, let your child make some choices. So uh, mm. where it's appropriate, you can say, you know, do you want to wear this shirt or that shirt? Do you want to have this fruit or that fruit as a dessert? Um, what game do you want to mm. play? And that sort of thing. So those kind of ultimately inconsequential decisions to you uh, seem to the kid like he's getting a lot of control in things. And then right. uh, maybe it feels like that can be the kid's outlet for um, making a choice from time to time, uh, as opposed to the parent always telling the kid what to do. Right. Then they say praise good behavior, of course. Um, that uh, is a no-brainer for sure in terms of setting them on the right track or nudging them in the right direction. Mm. And then it says uh, avoid situations likely to trigger tantrums. This one, in my mind, uh, it's like it feels like a bit of a cop-out. Like, well, we can't go over there because it's going to make him angry. You know, like we right. can't go down that aisle of the store. And then I feel like I'm limiting myself, but then ultimately you realize there's no reasoning with the kid beforehand. So you do right. just have to set some things off limits um, for yourself. And uh, their advice specifically is like, don't give your kid a toy that's too advanced because yeah. that'll lead to frustration. Um, or if when you're in a shop, if the kid always wants to beg for toys, then just don't go near the toys. Uh, yeah. And then if they act up in restaurants, then start to learn like the restaurants or the types of restaurants that are either faster in terms of service, or maybe they have better child seats that keep your kid a little bit more comfortably contained, or they have foods that your kid likes or whatever. And if you learn those things, then you're less likely to deal with tantrums in the restaurant. Yep, absolutely. I find the, uh, the planning ahead, especially is the most important part of this. And, and it kind of takes over my life mm -hmm. <laughs> as a parent. Yeah. Cause I'm a real, tantrum preventer by nature yeah. yeah would you say you fall into that category as well it's not in my nature to to plan things or to be consistent i really want to <laughs> like i really personally just want to act on my whims and just go do whatever i want to do and stay up as late I as i want to stay up i don't get that at all because you're very like <clears throat> by the book when it comes to the podcast oh you're yeah like, oh yeah we got to follow the order we got to do this and yeah. that <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> there are some things where I like, uh, I don't know if it's uh, easy to wrap my mind around it, then I want the rules, you know, like if I can okay. say, oh, this, uh, this podcast has five parts, then we better do all five parts. You know what I mean? Right. But then gotcha. when, when it like sprawls out into life, which is really complicated, I just want to like, watch as much YouTube as I want and go to bed at three in the morning, <laughs> or I want to like, Oh, I want to eat this right now. I'm just going to go eat it. You know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I, that's how I naturally want to be acting. And then that's this kind of thing that you have to constantly limit yourself on. So it's yeah. not in my nature. Exactly. I get that. I get that. <clears throat> I definitely have those, those urges as well, but I feel like the urge to, have a more peaceful and quiet house overrules those urges to like just do whatever I want a lot of the times. So most yeah. of my days like spent like trying to figure out like ways to make things as smooth run as smooth as possible. Mm -hmm. Like I get a lot of the uh the guys days that you mm -hmm. get. Mm -hmm. Like I've met you guys there and I've taken Coda by myself to the mall and like done stuff and i on those days i am very particular about timing on everything yeah so it's uh i find it to be the most important thing that you can do with a kid is to just plan your day and figure out what the hell you're gonna do yeah it's good advice it's um it's just you know do you have this the discipline to stay on yeah. that track and that's the hard part uh, yeah, I can, I can do certain things like, um, with my diet, for example, I can be 
a Gandhi. I can have like a single grain of rice a day, you know, <laughs> and I can understand that it's painful and that I'm hungry and somehow I enjoy that. But with the scheduling of things and making people like go here and there on a certain time, I can't get behind. I can't deal with it, man. Like I can do some really strict stuff. And then in other areas of life, I just cannot. So this is a uh, hard uh, I see. for sure. This one is much more difficult too, because it requires like outside of you to control. Like I think everything that you're talking about, it's all internal sources of control. Like you're yeah. able to like, manage things well because you are the source and that's the only thing you have to deal with. There's no variables. Yeah. And you bring the kid in and you're like, well, this is a variable times two. And I just, you know, it's much easier. Yeah. Sartre said hell is other people. And this is, this is not <laughs> what he was talking about, but it's just that uh, specifically you, your kids. <laughs> yeah. I think what he meant originally was um, like, you can, uh, you know, create some art or something. And then as soon as you put it out into the world, it's judged. And so right. in, in your mind, you made it and it was perfect and you're really happy with it. And then other people get a hold of it and it's just destroyed, you know? And uh, that's how I feel about dinner every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with my kid. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. He's going to love it. And then he yeah. refuses all of it. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's just the negotiating of everything. Um, when, it, if it were just me, like with the food or something, I could, I could deal with it. But then you realize, especially with the kid, they want what they want and you have yeah. to really work within those parameters, be half mind reader, uh, and then sort of figure out what's going to work out. But Anyway, yeah, that's the big struggle for me. Also, all of this stuff is just about preventing tantrums, which it's yeah, like yeah. You, can, you can try to prevent a cold, but eventually you'll catch a cold and then you have to yeah. figure out how to deal with that. So that leads us into the next part of this um, this article here, which is uh, just dealing with the tantrum. They give some good advice here. I mean, it's 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 normal stuff. It's stuff you've talked about, like stay calm. Um, don't respond with being loud or angry or try to irritate your child anymore, or shouting at them usually makes things worse. Um, <clears throat> I tend to take the approach that they recommend here, which is to de distract your child if there's mm -hmm. a tantrum. So yeah. whatever is causing them the frustration or the, the irritation, just get it out of their mind. Yeah. And a toddler is like a goldfish. Like if you just turn them 50, de 50 degrees some other direction, then they're just going to be on to that. Mm -hmm. But as you're saying, you know, it's the uh, the hitting, kicking, and those things that, you know, those those types of tantrums that are a little bit different and require a little bit more than just a distraction. Yeah. And that's such a good point because um, in your mind, it's like you might receive it all as kind of like, you know, wild or annoying behavior from the kid, but you have to draw this very distinct line between this is actually destructive or going to get them in trouble or going to create real problems like, you know, right. destroying my laptop or something, you know, like that <laughs> kind of thing versus um, the other type, which is just he's not in the mood for that food and now he's been being fussy about it. That's not really a problem, you know, like right. everybody's not in the mood for food from time to time. So uh, then like what requires discipline versus what requires like if you just go into peekaboo mode behind the counter to distract him on something. Yeah. And you have to be kind of cognizant of parsing these things out. But I have noticed, um, yeah, with a lot of stuff where he's fussy, especially pertaining to food, if you turn it into a game or one parent uh, like, you know, goes into the kitchen and pops their head out from the door, then it like resets the toddler's mind entirely. And then... Mm. You can even sneak in bites of whatever food was causing them such trouble after they've started giggling about something else. So yeah. uh, if you can work uh, to kind of mold the energies in that way, then that's really beneficial. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm not too great, I think, at staying calm a lot of times. As mm -hmm. I said before, I'm generally louder and I will let out my frustration. Mm -hmm. Today, um, just after breakfast, like... I was feeding him. He didn't want his eggs. So I was a little frustrated. So I was giving him cereal and hoping to kind of get some eggs in there with cereal. Mm -hmm. But he did, he wanted nothing to do with them. So we got through breakfast and got him down. And at the end of breakfast, I give him these little vitamin tablets every time. Mm -hmm. And I usually break it in half and give it to him on the table. And then he'll kind of play with them and then eat them. 
But today, like I, for some reason, I wasn't paying attention. I saw him eat one and then he had the other one in his hand. And then I think I went to do some dishes and then come back and get him and it was gone. So I was like, oh, okay. And then I get him out of the chair and my dog runs over and I assume she sees the tablet on the floor because I see her like going at something and licking something. Mm-hmm. And so Coda's down and he runs off really quick and I'm kind of looking at my dog going, what the hell are you eating? And then I kind of open her mouth and see the tablet in there. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to get it. And right when I'm doing this, Coda runs over to me, fussy and kind of clingy as he usually does and tries to like climb all over me, get between me and the dog. And I'm like trying to get this thing out of the dog's mouth. And I just like, Coda's there. And I'm just like, dude, what? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, reactionary you're just like what are you doing what do you want yeah and it's not like you're yelling or anything you're just letting out some frustration and i think i do need to be better about those times but sometimes you just can't help it yeah it's something that um i mean everybody's got probably the their trigger is set to a a certain sensitivity you know and um then overcoming that is one of the more difficult things. I think that's probably yeah. what a lot of um, counseling is built around is trying to help people like process that type of reaction a lot better. Yeah. Um, like counseling, psychiatry and all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to overcome like your own nature. You know, it's such a hard thing to do. Right. But uh, I do read like when I use the word stoic, I mean, like I read a lot of stoicism. It just happens <laughs> to be that the series of books that I'm reading right now is like um, Seneca the Younger and the next one's Marcus Aurelius and all this kind of stuff. And every day during lunch, I'm reading this and it, eventually it seeps into your brain, whether you agree with all of it or not. But they're like so brutally stoic. I mean, they're literally the stoics <laughs> and <laughs> the stuff that they right. say is so brutally stoic. I think it does influence you. So I don't know if... Um, uh. If that so you're saying I should read that. Yeah, if you can yeah, get deep into right, that so stuff. Pliny like, the Elder. Yeah, yeah, get into whatever you can find. Um, but uh but that's more of like uh, you know, every day during lunch, I'm reading that for say 20 or 30 minutes, and maybe that's seeped in over the years. Uh, but I don't know if it's uh if that's gonna work across the board for everybody. But there must be, I don't know, something you can expose yourself huh. to that's uh gonna maybe change your mindset or settle in that way. Mm, interesting. Okay. Um, I could consider stoic reading. I've, I don't think I've ever read anything, but. Oh yeah. I'd you got it. Stoic. Yeah. It, you know, you take it all with a grain of salt and sometimes it's just so dumb. And like the advice you realize, Oh, well this only applies to a rich leader of men. Like <laughs> this doesn't apply to, you know, whatever their advice is doesn't right. apply to like the the common plebeians like us. And uh, <laughs> sometimes it's like so outlandishly like you only, you know, only focus on philosophy, focus on nothing else. And it's like, well, you know, I got a wife and a kid. I don't know if that's going to work out for me. Yeah, uh, you can't feed people with philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to disregard um, a lot of what they say. But then sometimes it's just so like brutally grounding in terms of the things you think are important are not important and then you just can't argue with it. So mm. uh, somehow that's overridden something in, in me, I think. And then it's probably helped. Okay. I'll try to become more stoic. Yeah. I would, um, yeah, I don't even know who to recommend. It's like, I, I only want to recommend stuff that I'm a hundred percent behind. So you read Seneca <laughs> the Younger and you're like, a lot of this isn't actually that great. So I don't want to recommend that. And you read Marcus Aurelius and then you're like, a lot of this is some preachy, boring, like, meme level advice um but uh a lot of it is very valuable so you know dip in and dip out but i would say make it a habit is the gotcha all right well let's let's move on with this article because it gets into a topic i'm pretty interested in and it's uh timeouts when the toddler tantrum becomes aggressive or destructive like you were talking about before mm-hmm what uh what it says is to select a timeout spot someplace that isn't going to interest the child uh and then do it every time like you were saying like pick the same corner stand there make him wait um but also know when to end it like you were saying when when he shows that it's kind of sunk in and he gets it then 
don't push it too mm-hmm. much. I have a problem with this. I've ne- we've never done timeouts in the house, and I'm not quite sure how responsive Coda would be to them. And I think it might be a child by child basis. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, it seems like some kids would be more in tune with like understanding what's happening in the timeouts or caring about it. Yeah. So yeah, you probably have to, every individual person would have to figure out what's going to kind of register with their kid. They gave a bit of good advice here, which uh, is maybe just some like off the cuff math, but they said maybe one minute per year of age for your child. So Mm. if your kid's one, then a one minute timeout, it doesn't seem like much, but like sitting in a corner bored for a minute is quite a lot for a one-year-old. So uh, that sounds like some good advice. I think a timeout is fine. I mean, if you're looking at your options for discipline and, uh, you know, like uh, obviously you don't want to be hitting your kid. So (laughs) take that off the table and then timeout. It's like, yeah, compared to everybody like whipping the crap out of their kids, this is seems pretty reasonable. Um, I've also noticed, um, I don't know, like you can get some really – some really telling responses from kids from multiple different types of punishments. I mean, my mother and I were, um, he's my nephew and her grandson. We were sitting on the sofa with him. He was about two years old at the time and we had a book and he reached up and just like grabbed a page and just ripped it, you know, from the book. (laughs) And both of us were like, Oh no, 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 don't do Come on. No. Like that. And just both of us disapproving of it instantly, Uh, like put his head down and then started to whimper and got really sad about it. And so in that case, mm. it's like just a disapproving response was enough to send this kid into like really feeling uh, ashamed about what he had done. And so it's like, why would you escalate it then and do anything more severe? Uh, Because you can see on the kid's face that it's like really settled in with them. So if you can kind of gauge the kid's reaction and then, um, you know, realize what works and what doesn't, that's that's a good path to go down. Uh, Yeah. And then they close by saying, don't use timeouts too much or they won't work. Yeah. I think if you're always punishing somebody, they're just going to see it as an obstacle or something they have to do eventually to do the thing they want to do. Yeah. And it's, this is just life. This is what I deal with. And it's not like a, it's not going to register as a punishment anymore. One thing that I have trouble with, like I can stick with the timer. That makes sense to me, you know, one minute, two minutes, whatever it is. Um, One thing is like emotionally, the kind of uh, like emotion that you're projecting to the kid you know, when they do something bad, you've got to go into stern, serious mode and speak mm. pretty clearly and sternly to them or, you know, take them off to the corner or whatever you're going to do. But then after the one minute, are you like, let's play a game? You know, like, do you just go right into happy right. fun parent mode? Like, how long do you let it ride that you're kind of disappointed in what they did? And I never know the right way or the right moment to like yeah. shift into, okay, let's go back to playing. And uh, yeah. I would be interested to hear some advice on that. I really struggle with that one because I don't want to just. I, I was going to say, I think a lot of times what I'll do is sometimes I'll do that walk out of the room method that you used on on Nico. Mm-hmm. Whereas like if he's doing something and it, he's having a tantrum and then I get frustrated and I'll distract him enough that I can get out of the room. Yeah. And what I've found is that that is enough to kind of reset him mm-hmm. to where he forgets about it for a second. And then when I come back in, then it can be like, you know, happy go lucky and let's play with this toy and do this thing. But yeah. I find like separating and cool, letting, letting the cool down happen in, independently yeah. seems to work well for us. Yeah. That's nice. Um, that's a good tip. Uh, I'm also thinking of at the dinner table, if uh, something goes haywire and then you have to be like, no, don't do this. Don't, uh, you know, don't throw your spoon on the floor and that sort of thing. But then yeah. you've still got like 15 minutes of dinner to sit through. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> you get back into peekaboo and stuff. And I guess it, it happens naturally, you know, maybe you have an interim period where you're kind of yeah, neutral yeah. and then, yeah, ramp it back up. But anyway, that's one that I, often thinking about the timing of that kind of thing, never knowing what to do. Right. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, that's why kids 
continually have tantrums and yeah, it's never going to end. Yeah. And that's why parenting's hard, man. Dude. Yeah. Parenting's hard. Parenting's hard, man. Well, we can uh, wrap up, I suppose, with Segmentville and head over mm. to the throne of Japati. Japati today, uh, I have, it's another quiz style, and I've sent you a list in the chat, uh, four items. And I'm looking. The four items are, in alphabetical order, to lick vigorously, (laughs) to munch on a softish food, (laughs) to slurp, and then a (laughs) stomach rumble. Uh, so, of course, these four Japanese words are onomatopoeia for uh, uh, various, like, eating-related things. So, these four words are obviously onomatopoeia, uh, Japanese onomatopoeia for eating sounds or things to do with food. I mm. will read the Japanese word, and you can choose from the list of, again, lick okay. vigorously, munch on a softish <laughs> food, slurp, or stomach rumbling. Okay. Uh the first word is goo, goo. <laughs> goo, goo. Uh, uh, stomach rumbles? You got it, man. Oh, okay. Goo, goo is stomach rumbles. That's very wow. good. All right. I mean, not because I thought that's what it went with, just because... I didn't think it sounded like anything else on the list. <laughs> <laughs> this is a real process of elimination game we have here. Yeah. Uh, the next one is Bero Bero. That's B E R O B E R O. There's a variation which is Pero Pero, but this is Bero Bero. Munch? That is not to munch. This is to lick vigorously. Bero 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 Bero. No, I can't see it. Okay. Or like, on it. or if a kid's popping their tongue in and out of their mouth, it could also be a bit of bit Like if you see a kid oh. licking, licking a lollipop, then that's some bit of bit action that you're looking at. Oh, okay. Uh, the next one is suru suru. It's got to be slurp. That is to slurp. Yes. Suru suru. Um, and finally, uh, process of elimination, you're down to one choice, but the last word is musha musha. Yeah, that's the munch. Yeah, munch on a softish food. There's a book that I came across that I got these out of. Uh, the author is Susan Millington, and the title is Nihongo Pera Pera. And the book <laughs> is uh, literally just, it's like 140-odd pages of Japanese onomatopoeia for various situations. Wow. And she There's writes 140 a- pages of them? Yeah, <laughs> and oh, uh, a lot of descriptions and... Uh, it's kind of like a big extended glossary of onomatopoeia. Um, let me just see if I can figure out when this was published. Come on. Okay. First edition was in 1993. It's a little bit old, but uh, Japanese doesn't change that much. So I'm sure this is all still accurate. Uh, the interesting thing that she wrote in the introduction to this book, which I'd never thought of before, is hmm. that uh, I'll just read it. I underlined it here. It says, Japanese verbs are less varied, so they need to be described and explained further. While we, she means in English, while we plod, stroll, strut, and swagger, the Japanese can only walk if they don't make use of onomatopoeia to describe how that walk looks, sounds, or feels. So um, according to the author, yeah, it really does. That's why everything's oishi. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. There's not like a lot of like... um, uh, fine tuning of how oishi it is in which way, but right. Yeah, according to this, if she's to be believed, I don't know if this is like based on academic research or not, but she says that like they're just more they use verbs in a more straightforward way than we do. We like to choose the right verb for the situation, and then mm. they ratchet up their adverbs a lot of times, or uh, essentially are using onomatopoeia to give some feeling or some contextual like like Mm. description of how that verb looked or felt to them or something. And uh, that is really subtle, but it's such a difference between Japanese and English. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Actually, I'd never thought about it before. I feel like, okay, maybe if I had le- heard about this process back in the beginning of learning Japanese, I may have come at it from a different perspective or learning methodology or something, which made it would have made it maybe a little bit more appealing or easier to understand. Yeah, it's... But um, I feel like I, I always try to do like a one-for-one when I'm learning Japanese. And I think that's a lot of my problem. Yeah. It's like you not only have to um, replace the words, but you have to forget what you know about language and start from a more foundational place of how to even put sentences or ideas together. And that's what makes the learning so difficult when you go between languages that are so distant as like English and Japanese. Yeah. That was a good one. Japanese of the day there. Nice job. I think you got three out of four, which is a passing score. Yeah, it's good enough for the JLPT. Heck yeah. Um, I can't believe you would bring up the JLPT in my presence. <laughs> Ridiculous. I always like to throw it in there. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let's try and uh, get some positive vibes, some non-JLPT positive vibes. Okay. You want some dad jokes. Okay. I got two. I got two. I've got two as well. Um, I'll, I'll start if that's fine. Yep. This one says, how did Vikings communicate? Uh, I don't know. Norse code. (laughs) They used Norse code. Very, very clever. Very nice. I like it. Uh, did you hear about the cheesecake factory that exploded in France? No, I didn't. What happened? There was nothing left but debris. <laughs> okay. Wait, that must be a cheese factory then, not a cheesecake factory. Oh. Right? Yeah, I think I added that in. Okay. My bad. <laughs> Is this a very subtle sponsorship? Did the cheesecake factory just layer the same? by the cheesecake factory. Subliminally. <laughs> I really, I liked this next joke. Um, it says... Uh, to whoever stole my depression medication, I hope you're happy. <laughs> uh, probably just even keeled and yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just getting by. <clears throat> uh, my poop joke didn't win first place in the competition, mm-hmm. but a lot of competitors thought it was a solid number two. <laughs> oh, man. I knew number two was coming, but it was like grosser than I expected. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that one was great. That was graphic. All right. Thank you for listening. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us either on the site formerly known as Twitter at JPOPs Podcast or by email at info at the JPOPs.com. And we'll talk to you next time. Pizza time.